What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. Joining me today in the Trusted Web podcast is Karen Mahabir. Karen is the head of fact-checking at the Associated Press based in New York City. The Associated Press, founded over 170 years ago, is an independent global news organization dedicated to factual reporting. But you, as our listener, know that already because we recently spoke to Dwayne DeSonier, who's the head of blockchain reporting. Karen has worked as a reporter, editor, and producer for the Associated Press in multiple offices and also served as a managing editor for of news for the Huffington Post for two years and has spent many years working as a reporter and columnist at several newspapers in New York City and New Jersey. Karen holds a bachelor's degree in English literature from the University of Sussex in England, and she has a master's degree in international journalism from the City University of London. Karen, what an honor to have you on and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sebastian. It's an honor to be here with you today. To set the stage, I always ask this as a first question. How would you describe the state of media and journalism today, Karen? Well, Sebastian, I think that there are many ways that you could answer this question. Um, But let me start by saying that I think that there is some incredible journalism being done today, including by my organization, the AP, um, which just added two Pulitzers to its collection and does amazing investigative work, um, and by others, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, ProPublica, for example. And that is really heartening and inspiring to see. Um, But at the same time, I do think that journalists are facing some very real challenges at the moment, um, including the public's general trust of the media, um, which can be influenced by politics. You know, just um, this month, for example, a Pew study found that most Americans place at least some trust in the media outlet that they go to the most for political news, but that their trust varies by political party and whether they view the outlet as part of the mainstream media. And and that is very concerning. And I think that there is a a real feeling out there that for some of us, like the AP, that for 175 years have been committed to producing fact-based journalism are under attack by those who only wanna see their version of the facts out there. And there doesn't seem to be um, a shared set of facts as there once was. And this is something that me and and the team of fact checkers and misinformation reporters I work with confront head on every day. And I I think that's really a big challenge our industry is facing is the rise of misinformation. So last year we dealt with an onslaught of misinformation around the coronavirus, with it being called a hoax, among other claims, uh, the US election and all the claims of election fraud. And it really presented big challenges for us. And not only that, but you know, the reporters themselves were under assault, you know, with some legitimate reporters being labeled as producing quote unquote fake news and, and facing real blowback at certain events. Um, And lastly, I think another challenge is really that the media landscape itself has changed a lot in the last decades. You know, I think 
For a long time, people believed things because it came from a news organization that they trusted. And today, with news being distributed digitally and because just about anyone can be a publisher, instead of people deciding to believe something because they trust the publication, they seem more inclined to believe something that they read or see when it aligns with their views. And, and then you have people believing things regardless of whether it's true. So I think that while we're doing great work, we definitely have some challenges. Um, but I will say one thing that gives me hope is that many fact-based organizations and groups committed to fact-based reporting are coming together to address them. And, you know, I, you know, for one, you know, there are many more fact checkers today than there were just five years ago. Um, I am now the AP's first misinformation editor, you know, and we're really pushing hard in that space of fact checking and verification and misinformation reporting to reach people with facts and more importantly, to reach people where they are. Is there something you being the first misinformation editor, what does a misinformation editor do? It's a very good question. <laughs> um, my job is to run a team of reporters who are looking at where misinformation is originating from. How is it being disseminated? What are the profit motivations behind that misinformation? What sort of disinformation campaigns are operating? And, and it also delves into what we see with the rise of nationalism as well as propaganda. So we're really looking at all aspects of misinformation. And one of the key goals in what I'm trying to do is connect what we see often online with the real world. How is it impacting you? How is it gonna change the way that you're looking at something or perceiving something or understanding and interpreting something? So we look at a lot of different aspects of, of misinformation, but, um, and we do a lot of fact-checking within that as well and, and also verification work. Wow, and um, how, Maybe you can elaborate on how does the rise of misinformation, because I, of course, agree, and especially 2020 was a year with false claims and distorted narratives about all the critical issues at the same time. How has the rise of misinformation and disinformation changed the way you firstly create and secondly distribute content at the Associated Press? Right, right. Well, you know, as I mentioned, this is an area of the AP that is really growing. And, and let me give you some examples. So. So first, um, for decades, we've been producing what's known as AP Fact Checks. And that is the branding that we use on our items in which we hold public and elected officials accountable for what they say, right? So these are items that start with a claim or a statement, whether it was made in a speech or it was made in a tweet, for example. And then we provide the facts around that claim to show whether it's true or it's false or somewhere in the middle. Now, in the last few years, we really upped our game in how many fact checks we produce as a company and we've also broadened our scope to include more local officials and international leaders. And this is something that I'm immensely proud of. Um, you know, uh, for example, we just recently fact-checked Putin. Um, in addition, we've been doing more live fact-checking around big events like uh, State of the Union speeches or Putin-Biden summit. Um, and let me just say that live fact-checking is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, I can only imagine. <laughs> Um, and then we do a lot of our uh, work to promote our fact checks, you know, with our customers and on social media. Uh, the second thing I would point to is that we're doing more debunking of online misinformation. And this can include a false or manipulated image, uh, a meme with incorrect claims, tweets, stories themselves, videos. 
really anything that is gaining traction or has broken through to the mainstream that we do feel is false uh, or misleading. So we now have a team of people in the United States and in Mexico dedicated to verifying this material and they're writing up debunks every day in both English and Spanish. Um, we're also working with Facebook as a third party fact checker to curb misinformation on their platform. So we write up our debunks and they get attached to the misleading or false post on the platform. Um, and then the third thing I'd say is that, you know, we have formed a team, again, that reports on misinformation as a topic. Um, so really, again, we're looking at where misinformation is originating, where, how it's being disseminated, the motivations behind some of these campaigns, also how the social media platforms are responding to the challenge of misinformation. Um, and this team that I lead is working very closely with the AP Fact Check writers and the verification team. So it's really a, a strong three-pronged approach to combating and explaining falsehoods and how they travel and what impact they're having. And you know, I think what's great also is that a lot of this reporting is feeding into our main bar stories. So we're fact-checking within the stories themselves, you know, sometimes linking to a separate fact-check or a debunk. So this work has really had an impact on, on how we approach and do our journalism. And it's really become a regular part of our work. You know, I think that in some ways, um, reporting is basically fact-checking now because we're making decisions about what is accurate or not when we cover something. And, um, and then we're being explicit about that. So it's really built into everything that we do because there is so much misinformation now and we see it coming from, from public officials. And so I think that, you know, we need to be there to help the public, which is often left on their own, you know, to figure out who and, and what to trust. And I think, um, you know, throughout it all, we're working as a company to better understand the various platforms and what's being shared and by whom like what connections they may have to certain politicians or extremist groups, how they're being used both publicly and privately. And so I think, you know, having a good understanding of, of the whole environment of misinformation is a skill that we really want our reporters to have. And the, the, the feeling I got from the conversation with Dwayne and also the approach you're sharing here, it's so diligent. And uh, I, I complimented him, but also you now on how an organization that has such a long track record, it's, it's wonderful how you're so on top of, of, the, of the game in innovation and in fact-checking. Thank you, Sebastian. We try. Yeah, and... <laughs> It's uh, yeah, but I, I'm an entrepreneur for over for almost 20 years, and I know how hard it is to keep up and keep up and keep up, always be on top. But it's wonderful that you do that at such a large scale. Is there anything you can do looking forward in the years ahead regarding the misinformation and disinformation? Really good question. I mean, I think that um, you know, my immediate answer to that would be that I think that we'll be doing more of what we're doing now, right? I mean, I think. We'll continue to be pushing on these three facets of, of misinformation coverage because I don't see the problem of misinformation coverage going away anytime soon. Um, and you know, I think that we'll continue to do what we do best, and that is good fact-based journalism that holds people to account. Because I do think that at the end of the day, that is what builds trust with readers. Um, I think it's a little hard to say what challenges we might face. And I think, of course, you know, the actions that social media platforms as well as countries and governments take to address the issue of misinformation 
could lead to some changes in the work that we do, but I think it's it's a little hard to say. The only thing you could say with with you know um, complete assurance is that I think we'll be doing more of what we do now. Yeah, and and it's already so much, and also in the the, the live fact checking. That's something that's that's you can put an infinity amount of time in that and in in optimizing and iterating on that uh, concept. Absolutely, absolutely. Are there steps internally you do? Uh, of course, you explained on the role of misinformation edit, editing in the whole process of journalism, but are there specifically things you do internally to maintain and improve trust with the audiences outside? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, there are a few things that spring to mind. Um, let me just start with a series that I am quite proud of called Viral Questions. Um, and I think, you know, we basically started this series uh, because during the height of the pandemic, we were really faced with tidal waves of misinformation about the virus, right? Including how it was spread and whether it was real, numerous posts of false cures, et cetera. And there was a real desperation and panic for answers, real answers about what to do, what not to do, how to live your life in this new world. And there weren't a lot of answers. And while the AP was putting out a lot of great stories and we were all working really at 150%, I started to realize that we needed to go beyond our debunks and our fact checks. And we needed to start explaining what we knew as well as what we didn't know. And we needed to just be real with people. And we needed to address their most pressing questions with authoritative fact-based pieces that were also written in a conversational tone. So we created viral questions, which are basically Q&A items centered on the most commonly asked questions around about the virus. And then we paired them with original illustrations to attract attention on social media. And it's been a big success. And I think that it went a long way uh, toward building trust. You know, we continue to get dozens of emails from people asking us to address topics, for example. And for me, it was really about switching away from debunks and fact checks, which I think at times could come off as sort of slapping the reader's hand for believing something that is false to more explainer pieces in which we're holding the reader's hand. Um, and actually that brings me to a, the second thing I was gonna say is, you know, and how we're building trust with readers. And that's, you know, through a whole new body of work that we're doing called explainers. And basically these are sharply written, concise, crystal clear ways of unpacking news events and their context for readers who may not be intimately familiar, you know, with all the details. And I think that the more that we can do to explain things to people, you know, the way that we might do at a dinner party with friends, for example, the more we're going to reach them. And this has also been a hugely successful product for us. Um, and I would also say that, you know, I can't stress enough how important it is to be transparent with your audience. This builds trust, right? So, for example, when we write a fact check, our goal is that readers can recreate the fact check for themselves based on the primary source information that we have presented with them to them. So we link to the sources, we name them in our fact checks, we don't use any anonymous sources. Um, and I think that transparency also extends to the reporters themselves. And that's one thing that we're trying to do is pull the curtain back a bit and kind of show the bios behind the bylines. And that's a project that we're working on. Um, on the AP fact check section of AP News, we already list the bios of all the reporters and editors. Um, we're also working uh, with various trust initiatives. 
um, where we can show that we maintain certain standards like correcting mistakes and being transparent about who we are and how our business works and things like that. Wow. I, I will uh, add the links to the uh, viral questions and um, I, I will add that in the show notes. Is, are the explainers, are those, some of those live as well? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I'll add them to the show notes. And transparency was one of the main items we discussed in the blockchain uh, edition with Dwayne DeSonia. So I'll link that one in the show notes as well. Last question. It will be a super broad one. Take it wherever you want. Um, there's there's hope in what you say. You you sound optimistic on at least uh, a few items on fact checking. When the live fact checking sounds super good to me, um, what do you believe the future of publishing will look like, and where are we at the end of this decade? Tricky one to answer, Sebastian. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's a good it's a good question. Um, so again, I. I think that misinformation is not going to go away, right? We're going to continue working to find ways to push out fact-based reporting in ways that meet people where they are. Um, I think, you know, we're also going to continue to, to be more transparent in our stories. Um, and I think that, you know, reporters are going to increase their skills, like in forensic verification work and the tracking of misinformation. Um, I think that as bad actors become more savvy online, reporters are going to need to keep pace. And so we could see more newsroom tools available to aid with that. Um, I, think it's, I think it's hard to predict what's going to happen, but there are certain things I think that we're going to have to contend with in the future that we contend with today. Uh, for example, I think the industry will still include diverse outlets, niche publications, um, and a variety of other ways that people will seek to get their information to people and vice versa. And, um, and I think that the industry could become more fragmented. Um, and then I think one other thing I would add here is that I think we might also see um, the rise of more citizen journalism. You know, this year, Darnella Frazier received a Pulitzer citation uh, for citizen journalism for her recording of the killing last May of, of George Floyd. And I think that the role of the citizen journalist could become greater, um, though I still think that the role of professional journalists at professional news organizations who are upholding the standards of, of verifiable facts and in-depth reporting, I think those values will maintain. And, and whether it's done by you know, for-profit companies or, or not-for-profit cooperative like the AP, um, I, think that will, I think that will still stay in place. So, um, because I think that all the people who hold high professional standards will find an audience because people need that information. Yeah, that paints a, a, a bright picture for the future. So uh, thanks for Let's sharing help. that. Yeah. <laughs> and let's, thanks for the important work you do and your team do and uh, the organization does. Are there any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, I would say that I, I am optimistic for the future. Um, and then um, that's all. I think we have a lot of work ahead of us, though. Yeah, and um, looking forward to following, following uh, all the work of the misinformation team and uh, what's the, the work you do, Karen. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. Absolutely. Thank you, Sebastian. It is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low. And therefore, we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust 
in Publishing 2021. You'll find the report, the show notes of this episode, and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Once again, thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.